Hello everyone, this is Alex Trimble from The Alex Trimble Show, and man, do I got the interview for you today. So, you know, one of those things we're talking about, you know, always networking and finding ways to build real relationships with individuals because those individuals can help you out of the blue sometimes. Well, that just happened. Um, there's a young man who happened to been in the States um, for some trips talking to Fortune 500 and Fortune 100 companies. And my mentor and friend reached out to me and say, hey, would you be interested in interviewing this, this young man? I said, uh, uh, yes, yes, I would. <laughs> so today's guest is Zandwa. And I'm intentionally not saying his last name because once I say his last name, you're gonna understand why I and you are excited right now. See, Zandwa is the chairman of the Mandela Legacy Foundation. Dropping a hint right there. As the chairman of this organization, he travels the world intentionally finding ways to, to foster employment for individuals who are underserved and continuing to fight and continue his grandparents' lifelong pursuit of equality amongst all of us. Now, if you haven't got it yet, let me tell you this young man's last name is, his name is Zandwa Mandela. Yes, the grandson of the phenomenal, the legacy, this just it's a pure inspiration, Nelson Mandela. Um, <laughs> there is nothing else to say, but I can promise you today's conversation, today's interview is just gonna be, wow. That, that, that's where I'm gonna leave it, just wow. <laughs> So before we get started, again, I'm going to invite you, if you'd like to be entered to win our online networking course, all you have to do is go to the description. The information is there. You can find it out yourself. I believe in you. I trust in you. I have faith that you can read and do all those cool things because you're here today. And if you'd like to connect and find an opportunity to bring me in to speak at your next conference, workshop, or any other leadership development opportunity, then you just need to reach out to me. <laughs> you can find me on linkedin.com. You can email me at Trimble, T-R-E-M-B-L-E, gps at gmail.com. That's Trimble, gps at gmail.com. I'm super easy. Look me up. I'm looking forward to chatting with you. As always, let's get going. Hello everyone, this is Alex Trimble from the Alex Trimble Show. Thank you so much for joining us again today. Today I have what is hoped to be a lifelong friend, I, I want to say family member. Um, how are you doing today, kind sir? I'm good, thank you. How, how are you doing, Alex? You know, uh, I, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. Every, everyone listen, I'm good. I'm, I'm, that, that, that sigh is because I've been looking forward to today. Um, you know, when, when my, you know, our mutual close friend, my mentor um, said, uh, do you want to talk to uh, Zandwa Mandela? And I was like, um, uh, actually, literally, let me tell you what happened. Um, she said that I texted her back. I said, one second, let me think about it, dot, 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 of course. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm calling her out, Gail. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for, you know, I know you're on this, this massive trip across the country. Thank you yeah. so much for your time. No, no, um, it's a real pleasure. Thank you for having me. And, um, you know, I pretty much, I share the same sentiment. Um, you know, when uh, our mutual friend was like, hey, you know, I'd really like for you to speak to a young, brilliant uh, man. And I believe that you guys can have a, you know, a decent conversation that is aligned and that is purposeful. I was like, you know, yeah, I'm more than happy to do so. So thank you for giving me this opportunity. Well, kind sir. 
Um, I believe there, there's, there's a difference between you and I, but we're going to talk about that. There's a question I want to ask you about that. Um, So I'm going to start off like, as I was preparing and getting mentally, spiritually, um, cognitively, emotionally fit for this conversation, um, I happened to, to Google you and I looked at some videos and I looked at some other interviews and some articles and, you know, um, like the majority of people, when they initially, initially introduce you, they always start off with saying something about, you know, the grandson of Nelson Mandela. Sure. No, no. But my initial thought, though, is and we have these frank conversations. How has that made you feel? Not just the you talked about the weight that comes along with that, but, you know, have you ever felt like you've needed to differentiate yourself from yeah. that that legend and, and and do your own. Yeah. Look, I mean, um, you know, th- that to me has always been um, my intention, right? Uh, you know, we were blessed enough to actually come from a family where, you know, my grandparents were, were quite intentional around us having our own identity. You know, um, I often tell the story about how you know, my grandparents fought for the for freedom and primarily freedom of education, right? So we all had an opportunity to go to school. They insisted on us going to school. And they, you know, they had no preference. So whether you wanted to be a musician, whether you wanted to be a fine artist or you wanted to be a dancer or a businessman, they're like, fine, go ahead and do it for as long as you're actually going to earn the discipline around it, right? So that you can modify your mind in terms of what it is that you're trying to achieve. And so we were always given that particular space to actually be ourselves, right? Not to emulate their objectives and not to emulate who they were because we obviously grew under, you know, huge trees, right? You know, because these people embodied a lot, not only for ourselves, but for many other people. Now, the reality is that, however, we are part and parcel of a very significant legacy, right? Which, in all due respect, can never really be divorced, right? So, you know, the work that they did, um, you know, my grandfather, by virtue of becoming the, the first Black president of South Africa, in that particular moment, I mean, he changed not only, well, rather he changed billions of lives, right, in that particular moment. And so, you know, that impact will always be felt beyond ourselves, beyond our existence, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, as much as I have followed my own journey from a business point of view, the intersects are such that the work that we do also, you know, um, has great social impact, right? So it's an extension in some sort of a way of their great work, right? And at the end of the day, it's a great work of this particular family, this legacy that continues, right? So, um, you know, one is not has not felt as if by virtue of association, something is taken away, because I'm I'm able and proud enough to be able to sit on my own, stand on my own, and speak proudly about the work that we do. But the reference, I think, is that you know, they were so great and they were so iconic. Yeah, yeah. It's just that, you know, for, for it's, I guess it's just this mind 
um, you know, I was going to use a, a French word, but it's just a mind-altering experience. And people are able to say, wow, there was a straight man and he's, uh, the, the prodigy continues to live on and continues to do this work. So here's the context, but here's the man or here's the woman, because also in our family, they're women who do fantastic work. Yeah. So, so really quickly, I'm going to be, I'm going to be really, I'm going to be that guy. What was the French word? I just say, I need to know. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> so, so again, this, these, these conversations are generally geared towards. I, I don't speak French. Just like, that. <laughs> <laughs> I, look, I was super impressed. I, I was about to say, <laughs> somebody can understand it. <laughs> so. You know, these conversations are, are, are generally tied to and geared towards leadership and, and career advancement. And, and you know, I did a training, um, I do some training for the Department of uh, Veterans Affairs. And one individual is a leadership training. They, they, they just felt like, you know what? Everyone is pushing me to be a leader. Like, everyone keeps saying I'm a great leader, but I don't want to lead. And, and they, th- they felt through that training, they felt like the, they had the ability, the freedom to say, you know what, I'm good not being a, the quote unquote leader. Have you ever felt that you were being pushed to lead, pushed to do the right things? And now obviously you are doing those things, but did you ever struggle with, you know, am I doing this because I want to, or am I doing this because there is expectations that I'm, I should be doing it? Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit of both, you know, because um, so, so I am of the view that whatever it is that I choose to do, um, and, and, and this has just always been my character, I guess, from a young age, I would, I always wanted to be relevant and I wanted to be significant and I wanted to also actually change the status quo. I'm a, by nature, I challenge, you know, the norm. And so, you know, we can never think such efforts would actually just be unseen. You know, naturally, they would be so impactful that by virtue of what it is you do, yes, you might lead a few, you know, leading one, you're leading 10, you're leading many. But the point is your work has to be significant enough that it actually touches lives. And and so, so maybe it's less about the leadership thing, but it's just about the moment your work touches lives, creates aspirations, people are then indirectly connected to your vision and to your effort, right? So that's always just been my agenda. Now, um, you know, when I made the example about being having been given the opportunity to actually branch out and do your own thing so that you, you're not emulating anyone, that's a lesson that I took on quite dearly. And at some point, you know, there was that real, you know, that real experience. Like, okay, you know, you know, is this is this my journey or is it the expectation? And I think the moment the way I was actually able to be like, no, actually, um, why I'm doing what I'm doing is actually just simply because of my interest and my passions. And yeah. under no circumstance can I be judged accordingly to the assumption that I emulate these iconic figures or I would, you know, want to be them was when I guess I was able to now start living within my true purpose and my true agenda, like being comfortable um, and truly enjoying whatever it is, um, uh, the achievement is. But I must say, naturally, I think it's, um, it's an unforeseen but a real pressure to, um, you know, th- that we live within. And I just think you have to at some point um, either accept that for what it is 
and then find yourself growing out of, you know, understanding that you can't avoid such an experience. You, again, you, you, you say so much, you mentioned so much, and you know, there are two of all those, those the, the great advice you shared right now, a couple of words really stood out for me. You talked about uh, making an impact. You talk about um, significance and changing the status quo. Um, mm-hmm. You make me think of a conversation I literally had this past weekend. Um, we were talking about um, leaders who had done those things, who had made significant impacts on their communities, um, whether it be, I'm not going to call any, anyone out because I, might, I can't remember all their names, but like, like someone was like, they are, there, was an, there was an airport and it was only being used by the richest and most influential people. And yeah. they, they wanted to change that so that it could have access to so many more families and people in the community, but people were fighting against it so hard. And so in the middle of the night, um, this, this individual sent um, uh, the, the freaking trucks um, to just rip up the airfield, right? They, 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 just, they just ripped it up. Um, and so at that point, it was like, oh, it's done now. Um, and then they, they, they went and developed it. And now it is a beautiful place that, that so many people enjoy. And it's, it actually it's in Chicago. I think it's where that big, um, the big bean is right. Um, but people hated it in the beginning. Like, so, like, why are you doing this? And there's so many examples of, of leaders who made significant impact where at the time there was so much pushback. Um, but later on, everyone really benefited from it. So how do you know as a leader when you are when you're making those big significant impacts that are going to I'll use some maybe some quasi French piss people off yeah. um, <laughs> but you know like you could piss people off and in the long run hopefully it works out but how do you know when when to piss people off or when to wait and try to just bring everyone along everyone along with you you know, it's, it's, it's when um, I'll say, you know, when things really do not make sense. And, and I'll give you like um, a bit of background, my, you know, my experience in business, what, what I chose to study and, you know, the, 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 the journey I then went on. So um, I, I qualified in a BCom degree, which is a commerce degree in uh, business management and economics. I've always liked business um, and also at a young age, I remember, and my mother would always tell me the story. I used to always collect like, um, you know, these precious stones, you know, these stones, you know, different types of stones from different places. And I really, I, I knew all the names and all of that stuff. <laughs> and the reason why she relates the story is that one of my biggest and probably most successful ventures was in the mining space, right? Um, we're in the mining industry at a very young age. I was probably, mm-hmm. I was probably 26 years old, employing 10,000 people at the time. And in that particular, you know, environment, you know, in the mining space, the way black people were actually doing mining at the time, it was through a thing called um, black economic empowerment where, Black people became a minority shareholder in an operation, were never really operationally involved, but were minority participants in a business. Mm-hmm. Now you're talking about a business that has to do with the, you know, the land, first of all, in our in our country, and has to do with the natural resource that comes out of our land, right? And for many indigenous people, such resources in fact belong to us, right? And so it was quite ironic as to why us indigenous people were actually minority players within, yeah. you know, within yeah. our own natural resource. 
And so um, as young black people, we formed a consortium and it was one of the few consortiums at the time that actually did not do any BE in transactions. It was young, it was vibrant, and it only believed in ownership and operational participation. We didn't ask for any favors. We we're just trying to change the mindset to actually say, us young black people can actually participate in an industry where we were previously marginalized and not allowed to participate in. Yeah. Naturally, this was a great idea to me, right? But it was also met with a lot of contestation, right? We didn't get the necessary market support we, we required um, because it was a predominantly white industry. Um, you know, from an operational point of view, management did not really support the vision. We dealt with a lot of legacy issues. So it was both bad and good at the same time, you know? But nonetheless, it taught me something very important that, you know, in, in any event, in order for you to actually achieve certain things, you're going to need to actually step on a few toes. And naturally, that is actually going to have a negative effect. But the point is, it's either going to build you or it's going to break you, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so it was definitely never a deterrent. And, you know, we dealt with a lot of um, legal and media issues. But to me, it was just, it was a fabrication of the purpose of the vision because the vision was very true. And the vision was right. But what it actually did in the, in, you know, in the long run, and even from my experience, at that particular point, I had many friends, many associates who actually were not even doing big business at the time. And in my, even just within my close environment, it started, a, it was a catalyst in inspiring people to actually now live beyond their own expectations, live beyond the shadow of their parents and actually start doing things for themselves, right? And so you can really see the impact of such decisions in, a, in very close proximity. I'll then fast forward um, and then go further. You know, currently um, our primary focus and similarly, and, and, and what a lot of people may not understand, why I also had a genuine interest even within the mining space was that at the time it was one of the few sectors that had the ability to employ thousands of people over a period of time. Yeah, yes, it's yeah. a great wealth generator, but it also employs and makes a significant difference, right? And I pretty much followed the, a very similar ethos in a lot of the things that we do, that we look at opportunities and spaces that have got high social impact outcomes. And when I say high social impact outcomes, I mean employing a, like a massive amount of people or, you know, deploying a lot of resource within communities where it's most needed, right? And that's why we also now find ourselves in a space where we, 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 we create opportunity for young people, young people being youth between the ages of 18 to 35 as a result of the, you know, major unemployment issues we have back home. But the common thread, and, and this is within the BPO sector, which would be business process outsourcing. So, we promote and create jobs for young people by convincing large-scale organizations to come and do their outsourcing in South Africa instead of India or the Philippines, because I believe we've got a very great human resource in South Africa and the talent needs to be promoted. And I believe in any event, um, our young people are very smart, capable, and can actually offer a lot more than what other territories can offer. So, um, you know, the point is that to date, I mean, we've, we've created so much opportunity for people. We currently employ over 15,000 young people. We train over 500 young people on a daily basis or on a weekly basis. We've impacted close to 200,000 lives. 
And it's, 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 it's this ethos around, you know, we, we will know at a particular point that what we're doing is actually very impactful because the challenge will then be, you know, because um, what we're basically saying is we're promoting Africa over many other destinations. And eventually, I'm sure that's going to get the attention of the world. And, that, and then you really know you're doing something right, basically. And, and this is the work you're doing through the Mandela Legacy Foundation. Correct, yeah. So you know, I, I heard you say this. You said um, you want to show that companies can do well and still do good. I've heard you say that, that phrase before. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I really like that. It, it, it reminds me of another, another phrase I heard before. It was um, it, companies should shoot to be not only the best company in the world, but the best company for the world. Um, and these are very positive sentiments. And, and, and do you, I don't want to say, do you truly believe it can happen, but do, do you feel like it's more can it be more difficult, let's say, for nonprofit organizations? Like I'm thinking about that right now. Historically, or at least at least in the U.S., when you yeah. talk to someone who's in the nonprofit sector, it's like, oh yeah, I get paid less because I'm in nonprofit. And oh, I'm, I'm struggling because, but it's, I'm, I'm the nonprofit. I do this because out of my heart. Can, yeah. Can't it, I don't I don't like that. But, yeah. but but how do you fight that when everyone else in the industry is is suppressing pay and and people where you're getting your, your funding from? They're like, nah, you're a nonprofit. We're only gonna give you this much. Like, can yeah. you fight that? So so <clears throat> when um you know when when we um you know took over responsibility of the Mandela Legacy Foundation, um you know I I, I the 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 vision of the organization was was set um as a result of, you know, the iconic achievements of my, my grandparents, right? And my grandparents were very clear. They, they focused a lot on youth issues, but primarily around the political and social space, right? And my grandfather was a strong advocate for education. So was my grandmother. She was also an advocate for education. But, you know, she'd also always say one thing that, you know, education without opportunity for young people is also very dangerous, right? Yeah, yeah. So my vision for Mandela Legacy Foundation was that, look, it then needs to move a lot away from the charitable space, right? We're going to need to introduce a lot more sustainable and commercially viable programs that will then allow us to continue to do our work. So it's a two-prone approach, right? Whereas we, <clears throat> our, our programs are driven by commercial intent in the sense that the various stakeholders that we participate with and the, the things that we promote are centered around good business, okay? Um, so I'll, I'll just give you a basic example. Within the BPO sector, um, call center space, what we're then saying is that if we've got a big American client or big, you know, UK client or Australian client, we're saying that, look, you can come to South Africa and benefit from a cost, from cost reduction, you can then benefit from an efficient and an improved service by virtue of getting the right agents, right? So for the client to say, okay, wait a minute. So you're saying the bottom line can actually be improved by me investing in this particular program. You're like, yes, definitely. Now for the agent who then gets an opportunity, for them it's like, oh my gosh, cash in my pocket. I've got a job. I'm servicing this great client. I am happy. For us as an organization, we've not been able to deliver on that and the proceeds of that initiative, because this is a commercially viable business, 
the 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 commercials of that and the the revenue generated also then feeds back into the foundation. So the ecosystem of itself is like you're generating a commercial program that makes sense for everyone because people are happy, they benefit, and therefore I think then it becomes a lot more sustainable, right? So so it's just a very basic example. And so we were very intentional to actually then say that yes, we've got you know we've got a foundation because of its social imperatives. But in order for us to deliver on those social imperatives, we run commercially viable programs that people mm-hmm. can align with. So that was self-sustainable. And being self-sustainable then means that we can pretty much, you know, not that we can call, call the terms, but our vision can really be set around expansion, can be set around, you know, diversifying the portfolio, can be set around different things that are not dependent on companies just meeting these social goals here. Yeah. You, you, I, I love it. You actually, you just, you made me think of another young lady um, at, at on the show, uh, August Bell. She has a nonprofit organization that's focused on employing um, youth for underrepresented uh, groups within the conservation movement, but she pays them like really good wages. And how mm-hmm. she does that is by having another brand to the company that is consulting that brings in extra funds that then can be filtered in to make sure there is it's not just that philanthropic donations that are going in. I, that makes so much sense. And then it's, it's just a concept of like, yeah, philanthropy, you know, um, you know, people assume that philanthropy is actually it's billionaires giving money away. Thank you for tuning in to the Alex Tremble show. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Federal open season is over, but you can apply for WEPA life insurance year-round. WEPA has been insuring the future of federal employees for more than 75 years. WEPA can be used as a supplement or a replacement for Fegley and can cost less. Last year, members who switched saved $375 on average. Apply for WEPA group term life insurance and see how much you could save by visiting WAEPA.org today. The results are in. Research has found that networking is one of the four skills absolutely required to successfully advance in your career. However, when asked, most government employees state that they don't network because they believe that networking is for extroverts and for people who care more about their own careers than the organization's mission. But what if there was a way to ethically network without looking self-absorbed and being a super extrovert? Well, there is. Alex Tremble has created a seven-week online networking course specifically designed to give ambitious leaders like yourself the skills needed to become a strategic networker. This course uses time-tested and research-backed strategies to help you identify, build, and maintain critical relationships with influential leaders. Visit alextremble.com courses networking to learn more about his networking model today. Use the discount code podcastfamily on the checkout screen to receive a 20% discount. Don't delay. Enroll today at alextremble.com courses networking. And now back to the Alex Tremble Show with your host, Alex Tremble. No, I mean, it's, you know, um, I, I, I believe philanthropy is really centered around adjusting, you know, or rather changing systemic issues, right? And, and, and then I'll kind of put a, so Mandela Legacy Foundation focuses on four key pillars. 
job creation, um, women in leadership, training and education, and financial literacy. And why I'm touching on this issue of philanthropy is the sense that, you know, before before COVID, right? We had a we we've had a serious pandemic, and that was unemployment, right? Mm-hmm. And but you know, when we were actually in this particular space, unemployment was not as big an issue as it was. But over time, it just started, you know, becoming worse. And so the reality was that we had to we had to do something, right? And so you might not know these stats. Statistically, I would say to date, between the ages of 18, you know, to 35, we've got an unemployment rate close to 40%. One of the biggest issues of that is that 60% of that particular demographic are in fact women, right? A young black woman, right? Uh-uh. So when we talk about the pillar of creating jobs, when job creation, because the jobs are necessary, when you then say women in leadership, Within our organizations, we've realized that, you know, we need to be biased around um, supporting women within the workspace. So we've got various programs that are aligned to that particular agenda and do that. And by virtue of, in fact, even creating jobs, if, you know, if you look at a man and a woman, statistically, 15% of the resource that a woman earns, in fact, actually makes it back into the community or the home, right? Mm. So that's a very important thing when you're actually trying to understand the importance of community and actually moving communities forward. So women, women in leadership become very critical. Training and educating is important because when we're, you know, this is the BPO sector just offers people a first-time job, Right. Many instances, these young people have either not completed school, they've never had a job, you know, in the first place, have never had higher learning. And, you know, the level of confidence is pretty much low. So we need to give them the necessary tools in order to make them job ready and, um, and, and efficient at what they do. But beyond that, as much as we're giving them digital skills, soft skills, um, uh, you know, all of these um, practical skills, one of the most important things is the personal development. It's the instillment of confidence because, yeah, yeah. you know, these young people, it's, it's not the fact that they're not capable. They've just never been given a fair opportunity. And there's a very big distinction in that. And so that's why the training and educating piece is critical. And finally, financial literacy then becomes very important because we then find out that, you know, a lot of people are kept behind as a result of debt and, you know, bad decisions. Absolutely. And, and in fact, you know, I was able to kind of like start enforcing that particular program because I also I'm a, I'm a board member of an organization called Operation Hope. I work very closely with uh, Mr. John Hope Bryant of Operation Hope. And he's a major driver around financial literacy and how it can assist in the upward mobility of the black community. So, you know, we kind of saw that and learned from that and realized that we could, that piece was then very critical for the young people we were giving an opportunity to, because you then want to ensure that the first check is either, you know, it's no longer a liability, but an an opportunity for them to start generating Mm -hmm. wealth. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, um, what was your what was the point you were making? You asked me a question, but the <laughs> <laughs> but, but I was touching on the on the pillars of the organization. Um, I'm trying to remember because I, I, I took a segment because there was a point you raised. The, 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 the question was about I think it was a follow up saying that you yeah. know having yeah nonprofit organizations that have a 
a quote unquote yeah. for profit part to help supplement. So you're not only focused on philanthropy. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yes, correct, correct, correct. So, <clears throat> so then it then goes back to the concept of philanthropy that I was saying it's not just how people want to see it, it's, it's adjusting the status quo and changing um, you know, the deep systemic issues like unemployment, right? So even in our small ability to actually create jobs and say, guys, let's try reverse this, this, you know, this, this rate at which um, unemployment continues to grow. That in its own effort is a concept of philanthropy. So businesses that participate in like improving economies, businesses that want to decentralize, you know, the financial systems, they are in part doing major philanthropic work that is necessary for people to actually move forward in society. Yeah. You, you know, we talk about unemployment and it is, and it is, it is for everyone who's listening, everyone who's listening, you know, there, there's the unemployment part. And then for me, there's also the underemployment part where I've yeah. seen so many people working two, three jobs, barely making it. And you know, again, because I do a lot of work in the, um, so those who know, I, I also serve as chief culture officer um, in this big national non- uh, nonprofit organization called um, American Conservation Experience. And so what we're fighting right now is there's this whole industry that is, is that is set to help employ these young individuals and provide them opportunities, right? Um, at the same time, the wages are so low, right? And so if, if you're asking people to move into these fields, um, especially in nonprofit as a, as a as a whole, ask people to in these fill. Now they're struggling because they either have to choose between doing this passionate work that's so important or surviving, and that's not a great choice to put people in. Like we have to find other ways. Yeah, yeah, no, no, true, true, true. Um, and <clears throat> and I think even further to that, you know, and and what we're actually even picking up now. So so. Um, you know, this thing about, you know, the jobs we're going after, you know, from a, you know, from a, from a call center point of view. When I'm here in the U.S. and I'm speaking to, you know, your top 100, top 500 American companies and it's convincing them to come look at Africa as an outsourcing destination instead of India or the Philippines. I am not actually going after any American job that exists on this particular in America, right? So yeah, yeah. There's no threat here. We're talking about jobs that have been outsourced because you know, in many instances, a lot of American organizations outsource a lot of their work. Outsourced mm-hmm. to places where I believe they no longer serve the purpose, right? Yeah. And because you know, I believe that there's a great element of thought within the people that I engage with. Does she say that guys and you know that particular intervention could actually make a lot more of a difference? to someone who actually needs that particular opportunity and that will appreciate yeah, it a yeah, lot more. Yeah. Where you're not only impacting one life, but by virtue of giving that, op- that person that opportunity, there's a ripple effect of six because many people are directly or indirectly connected to six other people, right? And so, you know, al- allowing people to align themselves to that particular vision then says, okay, fine, it, pro- it probably makes sense. But then now what, you know, what, you know, I think ever since COVID and so on, what's actually now being experienced here, excuse me, is that many organizations are not able to even fill 
certain mm. positions and spaces mm. because people, once like you're pointing out, feel a particular way now about those opportunities, right? And now the question then is, it then once again, is that, so, you know, there's, there's, there's a very interesting thing that happens when you, when you open up jobs and, or create new spaces for people to work in. When you do that and fill those spaces up with other people, it naturally starts opening up another space for a certain type of qualification or quality or aptitude for be, to be filled, right? So our responsibility is just to continuously find alternatives and then eventually the right requirements or the right opportunities or the right under, workplace understanding will then be created for, for, for certain jobs to then be filled in the U.S. by people who are then interested in participating in those spaces, yeah. You, you know, so there's, there's two questions I want to get in. Uh, one is a selfish one. Um, so we're going to make sure we ask that one. And then the other one actually, actually just tied. Don't to- ask me. Don't ask me who is Zondra. Do not. So I'm going to ask you the, the, the quote unquote real question first. Don't worry about that. Um, so you talked about unemployment. Um, so those, again, those who typically listen to this, this, this show know that I, I kind of use this, this, this space as an opportunity to bounce ideas off in therapy. Sometimes, um, I read this article this weekend about, um, time bank, right. And, um, those individuals who are time millionaires, and basically it is people are now a growing, a growing number of people are becoming more conscious of their time. And how valuable it is and, and maybe not being willing to work as much or as hard as they had in the past. Um, some people are just saying, look, I'll, I'm going to do the bare minimum to pay my bills and allow me to do what I want to do because time is so important. People around them are dying, you know, COVID and so, so on and so forth. Um, and what made me kind of identify with that article is because two or so years ago, there was a big government shutdown in the U.S. lasted, what, 30 odd days, right? Mm. Um, it hurt a lot of people. I mean, put that at four so people don't try to cancel me immediately. It hurt a lot of people. Um, my wife and I are very focused on financial literacy. And so we have been living very well under our means for a long period of time. To, we saved up an emergency fund. Sure. So when that happened, I wasn't in pain. We weren't in pain, right? Yeah. And so during that time when I wasn't working, I was like, oh, at first I was like nervous. But I'm like, oh, oh, I can, I can go to the doctor's office. Oh, <laughs> I can work, I can write this book I've been working over the last couple of years. And, and I understand, I really started to value how much time I had not had before. I, again, I, I spoke to so many people who were like, even people who were even struggling more financially, they're still like, I was hanging out with my family. Um, I, again, we can go to the doctor's office, but I have to take, like, so we talk about the unemployment thing. I, I wonder how, you know, and maybe this is a quote unquote first world problems, but how do we? How do you straddle the line between getting working as we move forward in the future, working, and having time for yourself and your life to just appreciate life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, it's. Um, <clears throat> I think the reality we need to kind of, you know, understand who we're talking about at which point in their lives they are what they're seeking to do. Because I then believe it'll, it'll vary, you know, in, in different um, uh, uh, stages and spaces, right? So from, from a practical point of view, 
I think one of the reality checks that people had was the fact that, you know, they've worked for organizations who have actually not appreciated their contribution, right? They've worked in spaces which, I mean, realistically, I'd rather actually stay in my room than actually go into that building on a daily basis, right? Yeah. So nothing that actually says we actually believe in you as the, the engine that actually drives the existence of this organization. So that, that happens in many offices, right? And so it's very easy for people to be like despondent when they've actually experienced a world where organizations were actually still functioning quite well and efficiently by people running their their part of the, you know, the work contribution from home. And it all worked out, right? So there was a win-win there. Now, um, as a result of that, and as, as a result of what we've picked up historically, now there's, there's a BPO we work very closely with in South Africa. And the, the thinking was, was very, very simple there, that you need to create a space and you need to create a place where people will actually want to be there on a regular yeah. basis. Yeah. And when I talk about some of these facilities that we have back home, I'm not talking about, you know, and, I, I, you know, so here I also do a very clear re-education about the capability of Africa and South Africa. Because it's not what you think. It's actually very close to first world in some instances, right? But yeah. I'm talking about a facility that has a spa, that has a doctor's room, that has, you know, like food stalls, that has gyms, that has like everything you would actually want to have in a particular space, understanding that some of these young people actually come from environments where they actually do not have access to many of these things, right? You know, basic running water, you know, it's, it's just these realities. So you create a space that also says, you know, it's actually not even about the client, you know, it's not about this big client coming there and actually seeing that, oh, you've got this beautiful, fancy building. No, it's actually about the employees we invite to come and work there and ensuring that we've created a space for them that they can be very proud to work in. They will aspire to actually even always be there, even if it actually affects their time. And then the other time element is that because we service in the BPO sector in South Africa across the board, and because South Africa is so central, we then end up servicing the entire globe, right? We'll service all the way from Asia to North America, right? 24-7, 365, no shutdown even for a second, right? Yeah. Now, the reality is that you need then, you know, high rotation. And an employee would be like, you know, actually, I actually don't want to work in the days. I actually like working at night. It actually works out for me. I get to spend time with my family. I get to do my own thing. I actually get yeah. to sleep in the afternoon and I'll actually take a night job, you know? So, we, we then created a system where choice is actually then, it's there. Um, we've created a space that you actually you'll be proud to work and, 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 and be in. And I just think coming back and coming out of that, many organizations can actually learn from, from such a thing that I think um, people have been made to feel um, undervalued within many office spaces. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And office spaces have always just been quite a dreary environment to actually work in. So... You know, um, I think that the culture can really be improved in order to ensure that people feel good about, you know, making their way to the office. And also maybe just also just adjusting the practicality of time. Maybe 
in on certain occasions, not in on certain occasions, you know, because sometimes you don't want to spend half your day traveling in traffic, right? Yeah. So I think the culture has to change as we come out of COVID, just that, that accommodate is not for the organization first, but actually literally accommodates for the people that it employs. Hey, hey th- th- thank you so much. <clears throat> Sorry. Thank you so much for sharing that. You know, I, I, I'm I completely in line with you on all those things, that, that cultural piece, you know, being more flexible, being creative, right? That's what you're talking about. Um, now, I'm going to squeeze in this last question for myself. Uh, so um, for those who are not watching, um, uh, you're actually wearing a dark shirt. I'm wearing a dark jacket. Um, we're both... Uh, uh, African-American or African, both brown individuals, African-African-American. Um, we both have glasses on. We both have very short hair. Um, My mind will be fake. They're just for style. Uh, no, no, no. No, I wish. I wish and I need them. I need them. <laughs> no, me too. We're, we're both very, like, I'm going to, I'm coming to a point. Don't worry. Uh, we're, we're both very attractive individuals, I would say. Um, and, and, and I think we both have great personalities. Sure. Yet, yet. Um, one of these things are not like the other. I, I would say that actually you're, we're both 36. We're both 36 years. Okay. So now anyway, look, what have you done differently that has put you where you are now than I want to use myself, me, but, <laughs> but the reality is you, you've had some great level of success at a fairly young age, 36. Again, I, I, I use that comparison between you and I, because I, I would say, you know, I, I'm not going to say that I haven't had success in my life, but I think that there is a difference. And so what advice would you have, or what do you think you've done differently from the, so from someone who is quote unquote successful um, to moving to that greater level of success, whatever, however you would define that? Yeah. So, so, so the, the first bit is um, always agreeing that I'm actually two years younger. So, <laughs> so, so uh, it's a funny story. So um, the, so the reason why I come out is if I am 36 and I'm actually, I'm even telling my age, but who cares? It's because on um, online and on many features, I'm registered as being born 1985. So technically, I am 36, right? But now in my official document, it's actually 83. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, right? (laughs) (laughs) So I'm actually 38. But the point is, who cares, right? Who cares, right? (laughs) So I'll take 36 any day. So the first- I don't feel as bad anymore now because I I got two more years to reach you. (laughs) So the, the first bit is always be younger than what you actually are, right? <laughs> you always have one up on anyone, right? <laughs> no. Okay. no. Um, on, on a serious note, um, I would say I was, um, yeah, I, w- I was a capable student at school, you know, definitely not, um, you know, the smartest. I mean, I had very, very, very smart, intelligent friends, um, but, but definitely a hard work and, you know, Smart, you know, also. Um, but I was always very clear that, um, you know, we, we do things at our own pace. Um, you know, one thing we should not be is under pressure to, under pressure to, to achieve things that are just not, um, you know, uh, are not there, not realistic. What's very important is actually to focus on um, running your own race at your own pace, right? 
and 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 that's really like um just a very basic lesson i think all all young people can just like maintain right so you know don't really be outwardly unnecessarily focused on things that will actually potentially distract your own drive your own system and all of those things so really focus on yourself and just but but very importantly attain those goals right so the things you set out cross that particular bridge and move on the the point is cross a bridge at the pace you choose to to cross it and do not be distracted by the rate at which others might be crossing it right okay but then in the later part of my life right upon um having done many things all of these things it's actually also to you know i i i long stopped living with the assumption that oh one day i'm going to or, or one day i realized at some point you know i, I have a beautiful wife beautiful kids you know were were, were very comfortable my wife is a you know brilliant contributor to our organization and we've achieved great things that we are actually living within the dream that we've always aspired to have right and so the acceptance of knowing that you've actually achieved and you've attained that particular objective is 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 so fulfilling right and anything beyond that you know is just simply an accolade or an addition to 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 whatever it is that you set out so i think success begins when you are actually content with what you have achieved and understanding that mm. the purpose has actually been um it has been done you know you've uh, you you are you have succeeded in your success by virtue of 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 living it um you know living your dreams out and living out the things that you have said will be done and continue to exist and and the work that you do right and too many times um Yeah too many times people miss out on that particular experience because they're still in that mode of oh one day I will be one day you know it's it's like it's yeah, um yeah. it's uh, our, our greatness is actually is actually now and um you know that that we really just need to align with that um and and and, t- and take that moment in because you when you take that moment in you'll actually really understand um the magnitude of what you've actually achieved and what you've actually done goodness gracious see this is why you get that's why you find around the world talking because you got some great knowledge to share um i i just want to really quickly just say you know for those of you who are listening um please visit the youtube channel i share a lot of really great content there um there's more bite size there somebody shared the other day it was about uh, i was my wife and i were hiking this place this uh, this mountain this trail in um in arches national park and there's a scramble this rock scramble that we got to that we were like a bit nervous about going on. Do we really want to do this? It looks hard, it looks difficult. Um and eventually, you know, we saw some people come down and we kind of like, okay, let's do it. Actually, there's another couple there. They were like 72 and 71. Um there too. They they really wanted to do it. They've been hiking this for years every so often and they just weren't sure they could do it. Um and what happened was when my wife uh, when the last couple came down, my wife said, "Okay, let's try it." So she got up and she um she was able to kind of crawl on all fours and go up that rock scramble she made it um i got up and i just kind of walked up kind of crouching but walked up the the rock scramble got to the top the the this oh my god this 71 and 72 year old couple they crawled 
on their knees, almost like army crawling up that rock scramble. His knees were bloody when he got to the top and he made it up the rock scramble. And then some other people who are a-holes just got up there and walked all the way up like they weren't doing anything. (laughs) The point being, to your point, all of us took different speeds, took different methods, but we all made it to where we wanted to go. And that's what's important. Yeah, yeah. Well, well put, well put. I summed it up. Yeah, perfect. Exactly, exactly. And and you know, it's um, it's like it's such a beautiful thing when you, when you see you know life in a moment live out what we you know what we believe, right? Yeah, yeah no, that's cool. That's well, cool. I, I know we've run up against our time. <laughs> I. I and I apologize for even going this far. Um, hey, are there any thoughts, ideas, anything you'd like to share with those who are listening and watching right now? Um, no, to be honest, let me see, not too much. Um, I'm trying to think whether I've missed on anything. You know, I've touched on the organization. I also don't really, I also don't really want this to be like um, a business promo conversation or anything like that. <laughs> um, I uh, look, we, you know, I think it's just to say that, you know, our organization is focused on literally driving an African agenda um, and creating opportunity for young people. I, I do believe that, you know, it's, it's really our collective responsibility to actually create opportunity for those that need it most, right? And being a part of the African community, and we can share this, it's in many instances, it's a lot of our people that continue to struggle today, right? And in any way we can, um, and this is both about North America and it's about Africa, where we all exist, we need to continue to um, drive and fight, you know, um, for the the inclusion of our people in spaces we need to continue to ensure that our communities are no longer left behind um you know the world moves forward but it leaves our people behind and that has to stop and the only way we're actually going to be able to achieve these things you know beyond um the intellectual is actually to create practical opportunities for our people put money in their pockets, make them independent, um, make them, you know, decision makers and not just consumers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, um, you know, I, you know, we've coined a term that says, um, I believe in an Africa that's focused on trade, not aid. Yeah, and yeah, um, yeah. yeah that, that's really just all we have to do. Um, it's, um, and just not lose sight of the vision. You know, it, um, it starts with us, but it's really about, um, you know, our people and their independence. And, you know, again, <clears throat> thank you so much, Sandwa, for, for everything you've shared. And again, I intentionally wanted to keep this conversation um, geared towards you today. Um, so we have one minute left. So you have one minute to tell us everything important about your grandmother and grandfather. Go on, please. All right, cool. I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> <I'm joking. laughs> there's no, oh, there's no way you can do it. Okay. That was a good one. That was a good one. Was, oh, my God. After this call, I was going to be like, dude, well, what the hell was that? <laughs> hey, again, thank you so much for coming on. Um, hey, everyone who's listening, you know the drill. As always, don't look back, reach back. 
Don't if, if you found something of value, it, you, you heard today, you saw it today, and you said, this is something that's going to impact me and my community. Don't keep it to yourself. Don't say that person next to you should have been there. They should have been listening. No, don't just look back, reach back, bring them to this information, bring this information to them and share it and say, you need to listen to this today. We are all our brother's keepers and sister's keepers. As always, stay strong, stay positive, and definitely stay moving. See ya. Salute. Thanks for listening. Find us online at thealextrembleshow.com and be sure to share what you've learned with at least one other person today. Check back on the first and third Wednesday of each month for new episodes. Until next time, stay strong, stay positive, and definitely stay moving. <laughs>